0: Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Welcome. We are delighted that you're here. I'll be in Acts chapter 18. I'll pick up the reading here at verse 5. Now when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We are looking at Acts chapter 18, where Paul is going to be located in the city of Corinth. Now, we'll kind of unpack that as we go through, but if there's one word that kind of kept coming back up to me as I was reading through this chapter over and over again, it is this idea. The word is affliction. Um, The people in this particular chapter know some degree of affliction. So here's just a working definition for us. Affliction is something that causes pain or suffering, such as disease or disorder. Affliction can also be caused by another. You say, yes, I have some of those people in my life. I know what it's like to be afflicted, right? Here's the point. Affliction engages an element of suffering. And we in the Western world don't care for that at all. In fact, we think we shouldn't have to face that. The point is this, that in this passage, there are people who are afflicted. Aquila and Priscilla, this couple that you're gonna meet in the opening chapter of Acts 18, were driven from their home in Rome, and that's why they're in Corinth when Paul gets there and meets them there. They were driven out of their city because they were Jews and they were driven out of their city. Titius Justus and Crispus, the two people I read about here, were in the synagogue. That was their family. That was their community. They choose Christianity, and immediately, we just understand that from reading the biblical record, that, that the Jewish people who were a part of all their community will ostracize them. Sosthenes, you'll meet him at the end of the chapter, he is beaten in a public court setting, okay? I'm just trying to picture that. Like, that's like, um, that's like when a person steps forward in a court case in front of the judge, someone starts to beat him, and the judge does nothing, okay? When you read this passage, you're just kind of caught up with, with the fact that people facing affliction are here. And of course, there is the Apostle Paul, after all, who is not only rejected, but now is ministering in the church of Corinth that is going to be the most difficult church in his entire ministry, bar none. There's no church quite like the Corinthians when it comes to Paul working with them. So here's what you see, affliction, 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 which reminds us that there, I'm gonna give you six truths to remember in affliction. You say, Phil, I don't like that message. I like the message that says, don't worry, go home, be happy, and you'll never be afflicted. Okay? That's not the message, okay? And this is really hopeful. Here's why. Because I bet some of you came into church this morning saying, what does church have to offer me based upon what I'm going through now? And whether that's a loss of a job, whether that's a cancer diagnosis, whether that's a family challenge, whatever that is, you just need to know that God heard your cry, He's listening, and He is going to answer some of your cry this morning. So here's six truths to remember in affliction. in affliction, number one, your God may be moving you. He is not abandoning you. Your God may be moving you. He is not abandoning you. When I looked to this particular passage back earlier in Acts chapter 18, I discovered this part of the text. Look at this. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, Claudius would be the Roman government, governing authority there, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. That is, Paul went to see Aquila and Priscilla. If you know anything about New Testament history, you know that this is a couple that Paul's meeting for the first time, okay? Can you imagine what it's like to be forced out of your home? I... uh. In my trip to Ukraine earlier this summer, churches, even now, were still filled with cots where there were cots, and and what were office spaces had cots and bedding in them for the people who were no longer in their home but had no place to go but to live in the church, okay? We we, We don't know, most of us know nothing of that, nothing. But after this, look at verse 18, the end of that chapter. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of his brothers and set sail for Syria and with him, Priscilla and Aquila. Here is this couple that gets driven from their home and probably all the way to Corinth said, what is this even happening for? And yet they have no idea that they're going to meet the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Paul is going to open up a door of opportunity for them. Just think with me about that for a second. I will tell you, as a pastor now of several decades, my greatest opportunities in ministry, looking back, bar none, have usually followed my greatest disappointments. That's right. The things that I couldn't see usually fell out of my greatest disappointments. And I'll give you one. A number of years ago, there was a ministry that I was involved in. I loved that ministry. I had been deeply influenced by that ministry. I was involved in teaching in that ministry. Uh, it was unconnected to Fellowship Bible Church, it was a parachurch ministry. And all of a sudden, for a moment, um, I was asked not to participate anymore. And, and, and I was hurt. Kim would tell you that. She probably had to lift me up more than once in that time frame. I was deeply hurt. This goes back now, I don't know, 15, 18 years ago. And out of that, I called Kim, always giving great advice, says, you know, you ought to call a couple of your mentors and ask what you should do. And I remember calling one mentor who empathized with me and then said, these are his words verbatim. He said, "Uh, Phil, I've been waiting for this opportunity because you were so involved with that other ministry. I haven't thought to ask this, but uh, I have a friend and you know him who's ministering in Ukraine. Would you consider going over there? I just want to tell you, My link to Ukraine happened out of a disappointment, not out of me driving an opportunity. And so, without even realizing what God was going to do through that, I suddenly went. You see, when God is, when you face some degree of affliction, whatever that might be, God may be moving you. He isn't abandoning you. Here's the second idea. God is preparing you. He knows what's coming. In the affliction, God is preparing you. He knows what's coming. How many of you can remember your first job? Okay, can you remember your first job? Okay. Uh, How many of you liked your first job? Can you see your hands? A few less hands went up right there, okay. Um, I can remember because I'm old enough to have started working like, you know, when you could work back then when you were 12 or 13 or something. I can remember that kind of experience and getting my first raise that, on my first day of work, throwing hay bales in Indiana, Uh, my boss says to me, who was my fifth grade public school teacher, he said, you work so hard, I'm going to give you a raise. I'm going to give you an extra nickel an hour, okay? Okay, that officially makes me old, 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 okay? Um, Here's the point. We don't think of those experiences that happened back then as impacting us, but Paul's did. Let me show you this. In Acts chapter 18, verse 3, see the highlighted portion? And because he was of the same trade as Aquila and Priscilla, he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. Did you know that when a Jewish boy was growing up, before he was bar mitzvahed at 13, he would pick up a trade. He would start to do something so that he could make a living out of that trade. So here, I just want you to picture, isn't the Apostle Paul, this is the little boy Paul, he's like 12 years old, okay? Okay. And he's learning to run a needle through leather. He's learning to manage uh, goat's hair and how you pull that together in making something. In fact, the Life Application Study Bible captures it this way. Each Jewish boy learned to trade and tried to earn a living with it. Paul and Aquila had been trained in tent making, cutting and sewing woven cloth of goat's hair in tents. As a tent maker, Paul was able to go wherever God led him, carrying his livelihood with him. Note this, whatever happened when you were 11 or 12 or 13, God was preparing you for what he wants you to do now, okay? You say, well, I I don't like to remember those years. Those were hard years. Maybe even bad things happened. And yet, in that, God was shaping something. You know why? For this very simple reason, that God knows what's coming. That's right. you say, well, I'm not 13 any longer. I, I did that, but now I'm doing something else. God still knows what's coming, Because we serve this God who is all-knowing, he knows what's ahead of you, he knows the plan, and therefore, what he's running you through in the affliction is meant to prepare you. I wish I'd known this early on as a pastor, but I will tell you this now, that if you come to me with a struggle, whatever that struggle may be, um, my mind is immediately thinking of somebody else in our fellowship who has been through that struggle, And I always say the same thing. Would you like to meet with somebody who's been through what you're through? And I always get the same answer. Yeah, we'd like to meet somebody, okay? You understand that even out of your failures, out of your difficulties, out of your struggles, out of your afflictions, God is preparing you for what is coming. Here's a third idea. Here's a third idea. Your God is actively working with others. He has not left you alone. When we face times of affliction, we feel like we're the only person. We feel like that we're the only one engaging in it. I just want to remind you, you're not. Okay? You cannot read the scripture without hearing God say over and over again, you're not. But for just a moment, let me introduce you to our culture statistically. Okay? According to a recent survey, 36% of all Americans report feeling lonely frequently or almost all the time. You just got to let that thought settle in. Another survey from 2019 shows that 58% of Americans often felt like no one in their lifetime knew them well. Now, for a moment, you're thinking, yeah, that sounds like me, okay? Can I do something with you? Um, Let's just take that 36% number, which some say is low. Some say 60% of Americans are struggling with uh, with loneliness, but let's just take the 36% number. Okay, if you were born in the month of January, February, March, or April, will you just stand? I'm not going to single you out. Just stand. If those are your birthdays, just stand. Now, for just a moment, look around you. These are the people. When you walk into the diner tomorrow, this number of people, when you come to church, this number of people report feeling lonely or lonely all the time. You say, wow, I thought I was the only one. You're not the only one. Okay? You're not the only one. Maybe what we need to do is pay a little bit more attention to the people who are around us like that. Maybe cast a smile, maybe ask how they're doing, maybe just pause and pray for them, maybe just say, "Hey, how can I pray for you?" Because they think nobody else knows what they're going through. And if you're that person, just know this, you're not alone. Okay? You can be seated. I love the way that God answers this for Paul. <clears throat> and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. <clears throat> God says to Paul three things and here they are, okay? God says, I got a promise. I want to make an assurance and I want to remind you of something. Here's the first one. God promises he will never leave us nor forsake us. Hebrews thirteen five. God has said, Uh, What can man do to you? Because I have promised I will never leave you nor forsake you. In the last song this morning that Joel led us in, we sung about the promises of God, that his promises are faithful, that he cannot lie. Here's his promise. You might feel alone, but the promise is this. You are not alone. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Here's the second idea. God assures us that no one else has the power to destroy Now, I looked at this, and and when I looked at this text first, here it is. For I am with you, no one will attack you to harm you, okay? But you say, "But, but wasn't Paul executed? Like, that sounds like somebody attacked him to harm him. That's right, he was. And what about Peter? Yes, Peter was crucified. What about all the disciples? All of them, with the exception of John, the beloved John, the disciple of Jesus, all of them die and are attacked in really, really harmful ways, You say, well then, God didn't tell the truth there. No, no, no. Here's what you need to understand. There was no one that attacked Paul in Corinth, but here's the other thing you need to understand. No one could attack him in such a way that he could destroy him. You say, but he lost his life. But Matthew 10, 28 says this, do not fear those who can kill the body, but fear only the one who can take the body and soul and cast it into hell. There's only one person who does that, and it's not the devil. It's a holy God who says, listen, come to me through my son. There is only one person who has that power. And God assures us that no one else has the power to destroy us like that. So there's comfort in that. Here's the final idea. God reminds us he has many others working of which we are unaware. I love this. Elijah um, is this great prophet of the Old Testament. He does all these amazing things. And then he runs, scared to death, of Queen Jezebel, Elijah thought he was the only one. And in self-pity, he hides in a cave and he says, I've done all of these things for you, God, and I'm the only one, and here is God's answer. I got 7,000 others, okay. What, 7,000 others? Like, that's a lot of others, okay, that's right. God reminds us that he has many others working of which we are unaware. If you are prone to self-pity in your loneliness, I just wanna tell you, you're not the only one serving. You're not the only one doing the work. There are others. You just don't see them. You just don't know them. God reminds us that he has many others working of which we are unaware. So God promises, God assures, God reminds. So when you feel alone, you kind of want to unpack that. Okay? Just one final thought here, and I just need to express it in this idea of loneliness before we move on. Um, God has not left you alone. Uh, last night in the concert, um, Ben Fuller shared a remarkable testimony of, uh, he was the first singer up, and he shared a remarkable testimony of, of as an 18-year-old kid attempting to take his own life. Right? You may or may not be aware of this, but I'll throw the statistic for you. Uh, since 2020, 23% of 18 to 25-year-olds have considered suicide, 23%. If that is your situation today, and I would assume that's probably somebody's situation or maybe one in four's thoughts today here. Can I just tell you this? You came to the right place. God heard you when you said to him, Lord, I'm thinking about this. What am I supposed to do? And you had no idea that on a Sunday morning someone was going to talk to you about it. Okay. But God heard. God heard. God heard. Do not leave today. You're not alone, okay? Do not leave today without seeking out Justin or myself or someone else here, just anybody else here and say, will you pray with me? I need help in this matter. Do not leave without that. Why? Because we think we're the only one struggling. We think we're the only one that's alone. And God says, I'm actively working with others and I have not left you alone. Here's the fourth thing to do in affliction. Affliction. Your God accomplishes his purposes through others. He is not limited to believers. I love this. This is such a great word when we live in a world that seems really crazy and weird and, and different things are going on. And we can sometimes wonder if God's really in control. Okay. Can I show you something in Acts 18? Um, Paul constantly has this thing going on with the sin When he comes to the synagogue, he starts to preach. He tells them that Jesus is the only way of salvation. And, and then all of a sudden the Jews say, wait, we liked you up until now, but now we're going to kill you. Okay, so that's kind of how it works. Over and over again it happens like that. But in, in, in this situation in Corinth, they attempt to make and pass a law against what Paul is preaching. But when Galileo, who is the proconsul, okay, he's the governor there of Arcai, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. This is a court case. Okay, whatever happens in this court case could be very, very definitive for Christianity. In fact, most scholars believe that if Galileo, Galileo here all of a sudden says, "Listen, I am outlawing Christianity," that Christianity doesn't have an open door here like it does. And it probably doesn't spread quite in the same way, but God's got a plan. See, God can work through people who don't even believe in him, like here. In verse 13, saying, this man persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, I love this. uh, You know, If if you've ever had to acquire an attorney, um, what they usually tell you is, listen, I'll speak for you, don't you speak, (laughs) okay? Um, The more you say, the worse off you're gonna be. And here's the case. Paul's about to open his mouth, and God says, wait a minute, Paul, before you start to talk, Galileo, this is the judge, said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions of words and names of your own law, see to it yourself. I refuse to be a judge of these things, okay? And he drove them from the tribunal. He said, get out of here. Here's what happens in that moment. For the opening stages of Christianity, it lives within the protection of Judaism. It's protected. Because even in Rome, Jews, though they were kicked out because of the conflict with Christians, Jews were, Judaism was considered a religion that was somewhat protected in that government. And so here's what happens. While they're protected, Christianity grows and blossoms within that protection, and they drove them from the tribunal. Watch this, verse 17. And they see Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. Now, this is a Jewish man. He's not a believer, okay? But because he was the ruler of the synagogue at that stage, why is he the ruler of the synagogue? Because the other guy that you just met, Crispus, he became a believer and he walked out of the synagogue, So Sosthenes says, okay, I guess it's me. I'm up next, so I'll be the ruler. He's the ruler. They beat him in front of the tribunal, but Galileo paid no attention to any of this. The judge watches him get beat and doesn't do anything. Okay. In fact, uh, MacArthur Study Bible adds this helpful note. Galileo was no fool and saw through the Jews' plan. He refused to get caught up in what he viewed as an internal squabble within Judaism. In essence, he rendered what would be called a summary judgment. That is, he makes a judgment. He officially ruled that no crime had been committed and that the dispute was over semantics and he threw the case out and therefore Christianity was protected in the first century in a way that it otherwise wouldn't have been. You say, "What what happened to Sosthenes? Hold on, hold on. You're gonna love this, okay? But you gotta wait. Number five, your God uses difficulty. He doesn't need picture-perfect lives, okay? Your God uses difficulties. He doesn't need picture-perfect lives. If you came to church um, and you thought that everybody here is kind of picture-perfect, it's like the spiritual rendition of Facebook holidays, okay? Like you just think that's what it is. Like on Facebook, all holidays look perfect, and yet, you think when you experience your holiday, it doesn't feel perfect. God doesn't need picture-perfect lives. Remember Sosthenes? He's the guy who's beaten in the synagogue. They all see Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue. He's not a Christian, okay? They beat him in front of the tribunal. You know where his name shows up? When Paul writes his letter to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, look whose name shows up. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Sosthenes comes through that difficulty and many believe is the same Sosthenes that's written, mentioned over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that becomes a part of the church and probably even a leader of the Christian church. Why? Why? Because God doesn't need picture perfect lives. He takes your difficulties and He places you into opportunities. That's how He works. And there's one final thing. Here it is. Your God will encourage you through others' growth and sacrifice. I love this. Your God will encourage you through others' growth and sacrifice. Now, just let me show you a little phrase in Acts chapter 18, okay? In Acts 18, Paul starts in Corinth, meeting Aquila and Priscilla, and starting to teach there, and and preaching the word, and then people rebuke him, and then he ends up in the tribunal, and all that happens. But there's a little phrase there that you need to capture. Here it is. In verse five, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, okay? Which means Silas and Timothy weren't there. You say, well, where were they? Well, the text says they were in Macedonia, now, we don't know much about Macedonia, but we know some churches that are in Macedonia, like the church of Thessalonica and like the church of Philippi. So if you, if you want to understand what they were doing there or what those churches were communicating, then you got to get over to those books to figure it out. Okay? Let me take you to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Paul writes there, but now that Timothy has come to us from you. Okay, wait. Where did Timothy come from? Well, here it is. I'm going to stick it back in Acts chapter 18. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, here it is. Paul's saying to the Thessalonians, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. I I love that. Like that's Paul saying, I'm in the middle of an affliction. I'm dealing with this church of Corinth. They're really hard to get along with. They just beat up some guy in a tribunal. I feel bad about that. Like I, 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 nobody's listening. But here it comes. This church that Paul administered to in Thessalonica. Timothy and Silas show up and say, "Hey, they got some news to share with you." They want to tell you that they're growing in their faith. And I look at verse seven. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress, there's our word and affliction. We have been comforted about you through your faith. Stop, stop. How many of you have been impacted by somebody in your past who uh, really helped you grow in your faith? Just, uh, it may have just been a simple conversation. It may have been they stopped and they prayed for you. Something happened in your past where you walked away and say, wow, God really encouraged me there. Can I see your hands? Okay, okay hands down. How many of you have told them that in the last 14 days, in the last... 14 days, okay? Okay. I just want you to think about this for a second. Some of you have never told them that, and you should. Some of you said, yeah, I have. Then you ought to tell them again, Because look at this. You don't know the distress and affliction they may be going through. But Paul says, when we heard from the Thessalonians, in our distress and affliction, it comforted us because we could see their Faith. You don't know what affliction somebody else is going through. So your homework assignment this week, okay, is to just text them, just write them, just call them, just say, hey, I wanted to tell you, I wanted to thank you again for your ministry in my life. You and I would do well to do that. We have no idea what they're going through. There's a number of people who've been significant influences in my life, but A number of years ago, some of you may have heard me tell this story. I was, uh, I was starting to write some stuff. I was putting in a booklet form. I looked at it, and I actually thought, where have I seen this before? And I ran over to my file, and I opened it up, and I looked at a professor's work that he had done, and he built these booklets, and I'm looking at it the same way. It almost looked like I had stolen his material. Okay? And I realized I was teaching and doing things just like he did, and I don't think I'd ever told him that. So I just called him. I, I just picked up the phone and called him. And he was in the final throes of cancer. Right? And he couldn't talk long, but he just, he said it encouraged him. And I remember thinking like, you know, I can put things off. So I remember thinking, I'll get to that, I'll get to that, I'll get to that. No, no. If someone has encouraged you, tell them that. Because in their infliction, you will encourage them. Notice this as well. It's just not that group, but it's also the church of Philippi. For he says and what he says to the Corinthians, okay, and when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. Now, you know where that is. That's Acts 18. That's Silas and Timothy coming and bringing a gift. Where are they bringing the gift from? Well, Paul tells you that in the book of Philippians. There he says, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me, giving and receiving, except you only. Just you, Church of Philippi. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs. And I want you to see that. For my needs, not my wants, okay? For my needs, once and again. And then he goes on to say, not that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. I love this. Look at verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches of glory in Christ. You see, if you thought for a moment that it's only the wealthy people that have the ability to give, you've forgotten that the Church of Philippi Gave out of their poverty. They gave to meet Paul's needs, which meant that they themselves now would have needs. That's not somebody giving up what they want. That's someone saying, okay, we got to send this money off to Paul because he needs it, even though it takes away something that we need. Remarkable. And that's that last truth, isn't it? Here it is. Your God will encourage you through others' growth and sacrifice. If you're facing affliction then look around and let God encourage you through those others who have grown and through the sacrifices that others have made. There's one final thing I want you to see. And here it is. Friendships forged in affliction will provide courage when you need it. That's right. Friendships forged in affliction will provide courage when you need it. It's real easy for someone to say, Hey, uh, I'll support you, whatever you need, okay? But when someone's gone through the battle with you, they've been a part of that, they've invited you to sit, and they've heard your story, They've, they've walked through the affliction, they themselves were afflicted and you ministered to them. They provide courage when you need it. Remember this couple you met, Aquila and Priscilla, in the opening chapters, that's the first occurrence of them in Acts chapter 18. And by the end of that, working side by side, doing projects together, building tents together, all of a sudden, Paul says, hey, I'm going on another missionary journey. You guys want to go with me? And Aquila and Priscilla jump on the ship with them, with him. Okay? In Romans chapter 16, when Paul lists out tons of names of people who have ministered in the church of Rome, which means this couple went back to Rome, okay, he says this, greet Prisca, that's her uh, formal name for Priscilla. Uh, Priscilla is kind of like uh, her, her nickname. Okay? Breed Crisca, Prisca and Aquila my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risk their necks for my life. Okay? To whom not only I give thanks but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Okay. Just go back again. Think about it. Can you imagine this conversation going on between Priscilla and Aquila? Um, hey, Honey, we got to leave. Where are we going? I don't know. Maybe to Corinth. Maybe they need tents over there. Like, they're kicking us out because we're Jews. We got to leave Rome. Okay. Okay. All of a sudden, Aquila's working one day. He comes home. Hey, Priscilla, I met this guy. You're never going to believe this guy. Okay. He's a tent maker, so we just started sewing together. This guy knows the Bible. Like, this guy met Jesus. Okay. Like, he met Jesus face to face. Like, you need to hear his story. There's Aquila and Priscilla having dinner with the Apostle Paul at some point. All of this is going on, and all of a sudden, Paul says, hey, I'm about to go on another missionary journey. You guys want to join me? This friendship is forged out of affliction. And because it's forged out of affliction, when Paul remembers them, He leads with them. Like, this is a list, long list of names in Romans chapter 16. And Paul leads with them. He says, I want you to greet Prisca and Aquila. They are my fellow workers. They've risked their necks for my life. And not only this, all the churches of the Gentiles, those churches, they want to say thanks too. Oh, by the way, greet the church that's in their house. That means they're pastoring. He's pastoring. Aquila's pastoring a group of people someplace. Like, the church is there. All of that happens because of this very thought, that friendships, fortune, and affliction will provide courage when you need it. Now, here's the thing, if you think the answer to all of your problems is to avoid all affliction, okay, then you just need to understand what you're giving up. Right? The opportunity for those kinds of friendships, the opportunity to really let your roots grow deeply in your faith the opportunity to minister to others who have been through similar afflictions. You and I sacrifice all of that. And that's why we just want to pause and say, these are truths I want to remember in the midst of my affliction. There's one final thing I'd want to share with you. Perhaps like Sosthenes, you just feel beat up but Sosthenes, at some stage, came to understand that he needed to leave what he knew and turn to Christ alone, and that's why he's listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. In fact, he's mentioned there, Paul says, listen, I want you to greet him because he's a believer, which means maybe through your affliction, if you're not a Christian, God is drawing you to become a Christian. You say, well, no, 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 Phil, why would you want to do that? Like... People who are afflicted want to blame God for the problems, but God uses affliction to draw people to himself. So here it is simply. Christ died for our sins, Paul says, according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, so that when we have placed our faith in him for what he did, not for what we have done, we can have eternal life. You say, that message is too good to be true. Well, it is true. The Bible calls that grace, that Christ died for you and for me so that we could come to believe in him. John 1 says, as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the children of God, even to those who did a lot of good works, okay? No, nope. simply this, even to those who believed on his name. Your faith in Christ is what brings about your salvation. And then you'll find that you are not walking alone in your affliction. He walks with you. Will you bow your heads with me? If you've never placed your faith in Christ, this morning would be a great day to do that. Be a great way to kind of wrap up the service that God would meet you here. Maybe you came in this morning not... Knowing, even wondering if church was for you, thinking church was just for people who had picture-perfect lives, didn't face difficulties. I just want to remind you that you are not here by chance. You were here by God's appointment. He called you. He wanted you to hear the message, and he wanted you to hear that his son had died on your behalf so that he could be your savior if you simply placed your faith in him. I want to encourage you to do that this morning. If you believe God's calling you to do that, if you can feel that stirring in your heart because you know these things to be true, then I would encourage you to just simply maybe voice it as a prayer. To say, Dear Lord Jesus, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I'm hurting. But I believe that you came and you died on the cross in my place to forgive me for my sins. I surrender to you. I believe in you. Ask him to be your Lord and Savior. And then thank him for it. For the rest of us who already know the Lord personally, can I just encourage you? Can you do a couple things this week. Look at your afflictions differently. Rehearse these six truths. Think through what God would have you do with the affliction. And if it's been a while since you've encouraged someone that, uh, that you know was going through, um, someone that you may know is going through an affliction, reach out to them and encourage them. Be the encouragement they need to hear. Father, we're grateful for this day. We're thankful that we can be a part of your family and we can be in your house today. May we worship you throughout this week as well. In Jesus' name.